the Lamb of God, we see he begins the narrative here in the first chapter, verse 19, with the witness of John the Baptist. And remembering uh, how that in Luke and Matthew, uh, we got to look to the other Gospels to pull the details together. But John's miraculous birth, in a sense, and all that went on at the temple with John the Baptist's father, Zacharias, and uh, all the talk that went with his birth. And as John began his ministry and was in the wilderness preaching, that all the region was... They were musing in their hearts whether this was the Messiah or not. So words got around. He's preaching this message. And it's not just a little handful of people that's talking about John the Baptist. It's all over Israel, all over Judea where John the Baptist's message is being heard. They know about him. They're aware of him. Even to the place that the the priests and the Levites and the Pharisees and the scribes the elite of the elite, the top order of the clergy of the Jews, they send people to ask John who he is and what exactly he's doing. So they ask, are you Elijah? We read the prophecies that were given in the Old Testament that Elijah would come. Art thou that prophet? Are you uh, the one that Moses spoke about? Are you the Christ? And John said, I, no, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm none of those things. And so they said, well then, who are you and why are you baptizing? And John does not, and I think this is very important, John does not give an explanation about what he's doing and why he's doing it. But John points to the Son of God. There's one coming after me who's before me. He it is who will baptize with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And so that was the beginning of the narrative. And so in verse 29, where we left off last time, the next day, so as we look down through really into chapter 2, we're going to follow this week-long event. This was a week. And so the next day, the day after that this crowd came to ask John who he was, John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. This is He of whom I said, After me cometh a man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. And I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore am I come baptizing with water. So John sees Jesus, and whether he's out baptizing at the river or... Uh, wherever John's at, I don't know. But the Lord Jesus comes walking through and John sees him. John points to the man, Jesus Christ, and says, Behold the Lamb of God. So we looked last time at several scriptures at what that statement would have meant. And really, what a wise statement that that was that John made. Only one that the Holy Ghost could reveal to the heart of man. They were looking for a son of David. They were looking for a a warrior king. They were looking for somebody to conquer the nations of the earth and set Israel back as the prominent nation and people on the face of the earth. That's what they thought that the Christ and the Messiah was going to come to do. His mission was going to be as a son of David 
to set up a kingdom like David and to rule over Israel like David and to run over all of the enemies that there were. But John says that this is the Lamb of God. And that word Lamb to the Jew was sacrifice. Those words were synonymous. And we looked in the Old Testament days, every day, a bare minimum, there were two lambs killed every day. There were more on feast days. There were more on Sabbath days. There were more on new moons. But morning and evening, every day at the temple, there was a minimum of two lambs killed. And you've got the Passover lamb, the lamb that died in place of the firstborn. You know, it's not that God's skipping death over the house, but it's that that lamb, that Passover lamb, died in the place of the firstborn in that house. And we have the Day of Atonement when there were scapegoats and lambs and there's a continual dying at the temple. And those deaths are substitutionary. They're dying for the sins of Israel. But we know that none of those sacrifices ever made atonement, proper atonement with God for one sin. They never did. Those were the lamb. Maybe you got the lamb out of the flock of David. Maybe out of the flock of John. But here was going to come the choice lamb, not out of man's flock, not out of Jerusalem's hillside, but the very lamb of God, which is going to take away, that word meaning to lift off, the sin of the world. And again, lifting off. It's you under a heavy weight and I lift that off of you. It's not disappearing in thin air. So often that's the way sin is talked about and thought of, that sin is just disappearing and God's just forgetting about it. But the Lamb of God took that. He lifted that off of you and He put the weight on His back and He carried that to the cross. Sin did not disappear. My sin was not swept under the rug. The sin of the church was not uh, ignored and forgotten by God, but it was put on the back of the Savior. He carried it to the cross, and there He died for that sin. Why can God forgive my sin? Because my sin has already been died for. Not that God's going to ignore judgment. Judgment cannot be ignored. There had to be a death for my sin. And the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world, He died for my sin. So let's stop just for a minute there. The sin of the world. Now you can read that, and and you may even hear it said, well it says the sin of the world, and I believe it's the sin of the world. Well, that's well and good. But if Jesus died for everybody's sin and the whole world's sin is paid for, then the whole world's going to have to be saved. How can God judge a man for his sin if Jesus has already died and atoned for that sin? So in John chapter 9, the last verse of John chapter 9, if you were blind, you should have no sin. But you say, you see, therefore your sin remaineth. 
their sin wasn't lifted off. Do you see that? Just because Jesus died does not mean all of the world's sin has been paid for. Now, when he says world, what can he mean by that world? It's all without distinction. He didn't just die for Jewish people. He didn't just die for Israelites, but he died for Africans and Europeans and Asians and Americans and South Americans. All of the world can come to him for atonement and salvation. But it's not the world without exception. If you're going to say that he died for the world without exception, then you're, you're a universalist. You believe that everybody's sin is paid for, therefore everybody is free in Christ, whether they come in obedience and faith or not. Do you see that? And so He taketh away the sin of the world. And if, if that's hard to swallow, and I realize it can be, remember in the prologue of this gospel, in chapter 1 we see that uh, as many as received Him, to them gave He power. Who's getting the power? Those that receive Him. Not the whole world. And even John 3.16, where you hear so often that, well, it's for everybody. Well, it's for them that believe. Even in John 3.16, there's a distinction between the unbeliever and the believer. And so the Lord has come to take away, to lift off the sin of the world. This is He of whom I said. So John's saying, I've already told you that there was one coming. John never pointed to himself as being anything other than a front runner, a forerunner for the Lamb of God. And, and the Lamb was the direction of John's message. And John says, this is who I've been telling you about. Now listen, this is not a message that can be confused. John is pointing directly to Jesus Christ and saying, this is Him. This is the Lamb of God. It would be impossible to be in John's congregation there and not know who he was talking about. You see that? It's unmistakable. John is pointing directly to the man, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, uh, I knew him not. Verse 31, And I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest to Israel. So, he did not uh, have a confederacy or an agreement with the Lord Jesus. And you know, that could easily be accused. They're cousins... Well, they've got together out in the wilderness away from everybody and they've planned this out and they've set this up and that's why that this is what it is. But John is careful to make it known. I didn't know for sure that this was him. I didn't know him. But I knew this. God said that he was going to be manifested. It wasn't going to be John. Now think about it. John was not going to manifest the Lord Jesus. 
It was God that was going to manifest him. And John was going to bear witness. He was going to be a witness, a testifier of what God is doing. So when you think about a testimony, what is a testimony? It's me telling you what God has done. Not me telling you what I've done. That's not a testimony. That's not bearing witness. John is going to bear witness to the Lamb of God. And he's not the Lamb of God just because John says so. He's the Lamb of God because God is going to manifest Him to Israel. So this manifestation, therefore, am I come baptizing with water. They wanted to know why John was baptizing. Here's why that the Lamb of God would be manifested to Israel. That it might be known who the Lamb of... This, this baptism of water that John was doing was not going to bring salvation or the forgiveness of sins to anybody. It was preparing the hearts of the people that they were sinners and in need of atonement and it was to point them to and to manifest the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you read about the baptism of Jesus, the Bible says, and I don't remember what gospel it's in, and when, when everyone was baptized, then came Jesus. You know who's going to be the last one? The Lord is. The Lord's going to be the one that's going to be baptized and all those that John has seen, he's going to be pointed out. So in Acts 19.4, Paul said, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. So John's message was never a message of if you'll be baptized, you're saved. But it was be baptized and look to the one who, as he's going to say here in 32, 31, 32, 33, this is the one that's baptizing with a spirit. Do you remember what I said baptism means? We pulled that word out of the Greek. We used that to refer to the ceremony at the creek or in a baptismal where somebody is taken under the water. And when we hear baptism, that's what we think of a water baptism and ceremony. But really the word means to immerse or to be fully whelmed or to make fully wet. So when, when he says John's baptizing with water, he's immersing man in water. But Jesus is doing a greater work than John is. He's immersing them in the Holy Spirit of God. That's the baptism that we ought to be concerned about. You know, it's possible to be baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River and still not be saved. Because John's saying that they should believe on Him which should come after. So if we're not baptized with the Lord Jesus, nothing else amounts to anything before God. So this is He of whom I said... After me cometh a man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. So they're going to say, well, wait a minute, John. You were born first. 
probably anywhere from three to six months before the Lord Jesus, you were born, you were before Him. But John's got an understanding, as we've already seen in John 1, yes, Jesus the man was born on this day in a stable in Bethlehem, but that man that was born there, that was not the beginning of the eternal Word of God. But the Word of God that was with God in the beginning, that created the world, He became flesh. So you've got a man now with a real birthday, with an actual time that He was born that we remember every year. But you've got the eternal Word of God that was made a man. So though the man Jesus was born, the Son of God was not born He was given. He came from eternity, from heaven, into time as the man Jesus Christ. So John can say, He's before me. He predates predates the world. Where is His beginning? You can't find His beginning. And I knew Him not, but that He should be manifest to Israel. Therefore am I come baptizing with water. And John bare record, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode on Him. And I knew Him not. But He that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Unto whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on Him, the same is He which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost." So let's get it in order. I realize the way that's written, maybe if we had verse 33 before 32. So John is sent by God. Remember in chapter 1, verse number 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. John was called. John was sent by God Himself. And he's sent to baptize with water, to preach repentance that this coming Lamb of God would be manifested to Israel. And God says to John, you'll know who He is when you see the Spirit descend and abide on Him. I'm going to bear witness as to who He is. That's what John's told before his mission. And in Matthew chapter 3, and Jesus, when He was baptized, went up straightway out of the water... And lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. So notice the words, the heavens were open and he saw. So who's the he there? It's John the Baptist. John saw the Spirit. In Mark chapter 1 verse 10, straightway coming out of the water, he saw the heavens open and the Spirit descending like a dove upon Him. So again, nowhere you won't find it in the Gospels does it say that a multitude of people saw this happen. Careful reading benefits greatly. But it was John the Baptist that saw this. And by the Scripture, John the Baptist is the only person that saw the Spirit descend on the Lord Jesus. And we also know there was a voice, This is my beloved Son. So there, at that baptism, 
you see the Trinity together, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and there they all three are, and they're all centered around the Lord, the man, Jesus Christ. In Him dwelled the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And so the witness of God on the Lord Jesus. And it's God that says to John, this is Him. This is the one that I've sent. This in John 33, this is He which baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And so in 1 John 1, 1, listen to the way this is worded. That which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, which our hands have handled of the word of life. Peter says, we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. And John the Baptist here in verse 34, and I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. How did John know the Baptist? How did he know that this was the Son of God? The witness of God was upon him. He saw the fulfillment of the Word of God in the man, Jesus Christ. How did the Apostle John know that this was the Lord Jesus Christ? He was there. I seen Him with my eyes. I heard Him with my ears. I handled Him with my own hands. I seen His resurrected body. You know the song we sung this morning? You ask me how I know He lives. He lives in my heart. That's good. But we've got a more sure word of prophecy. We've got eyewitness testimony. And John says, I saw Him. I handled Him. I heard Him. I bore witness that this is what happened. And Peter says, we've not followed cunningly devised fables, but we were eyewitnesses. He was a man on the ground looking at it for himself. Not second-hand information, but we've got it from those that were on the scene. And that's what John the Baptist is. He's bearing record to be a witness, to provide testimony. He's called into the courtroom. The courtroom of man's heart. Remember John's mission? from the 20th chapter of this gospel, that you may believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Who's the first witness that we call to the stand? John the Baptist. What did John the Baptist say about this man, Jesus Christ? He said, this man is the Son of God. And I know that He's the Son of God, not because I sat down and thought about it for a while and got a good feeling, not because that this is what I think, this is my opinion, not because that uh, Peter and John came and, and we talked it out and we came to that conclusion, but this is the Son of God because God from heaven has revealed that this is Him. Amen. What greater confirmation could you have? And we're, we're still in, really, the first half of the first chapter, and what witness, what evidence we've already got that this man Jesus is the Son of God. And I saw in bare record that this is the Son of God. And again the next day. So we're still following. 
So remember, they came and questioned John. And the next day, Jesus comes by where John is. John points him out as we just read. And now the next day, so the third day, John stood and two of his disciples, and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and saw them following, and saith unto them, What seek ye? They said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say, being interpreted, Master, where dwellest thou? He saith unto them, Come and see. They came and saw where he dwelt, and abode with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. So again, now the next day, here's John the Baptist, and he's standing with two of his disciples. Two of John's followers are standing there with him. And I stopped a little early in verse 40. And one of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. So here's two disciples of John the Baptist. They're standing there with John and Jesus is walking by. And John echoes his testimony. What's John continually doing? Pointing to Jesus. And he says again, Behold the Lamb of God. John is bearing witness. In John chapter 4 verse 42, And said unto the woman, Now we believe not because of thy saying, for we've heard him ourselves, and know that indeed this is the Christ, the Savior of the world. So here was the men of Samaria. And the woman at the well, she's came back and she's gave witness. But the men are going to come and they're going to hear for themselves. Well, here John is bearing witness of the Lamb of God. And that is going to bring these two disciples to follow the Lord Jesus. They want to hear Him for themselves. And so the witness of man, the witness of John the Baptist, if we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which He hath testified of His Son. You know, it's a great blessing to hear about Jesus through the woman at the well of Samaria. What a blessing that was to that country. It was a blessing to these two disciples to hear about the Lord Jesus through John the Baptist. What a blessing it is to hear about the Lord Jesus through the teaching and preaching of the Word of God today. That God's provided the Word for us to learn and grow with Him. What a blessing it is to to grow up in a family where mama and daddy and maybe even grandma and grandpa can teach who the Lord Jesus is. And all of those witnesses are good and they're wonderful and they're necessary. They're necessary. But you know, there's one witness that's greater than all of those. Mom and Daddy could tell me, but they couldn't convince me. Sunday school teachers could tell me, but they could not convince me. The preacher could tell me, but he couldn't convince me. But you know, one day, God's going to bear witness to me, individually, personally, 
the Holy Spirit is going to manifest. And you talk about convinced. Convinced to the place of great fear. That's the greater witness. The witness that's necessary for there to be salvation. So the two that heard, who's going to follow Jesus? The two that heard the witness of John the Baptist. Well, the witness, that's really not all that important. As we follow through the rest of chapter 1, it appears that all of these that are going to come and follow Jesus are going to be born witness to by another person. And so God is... I'm not saying that I'm doing the work or that the church is doing the work. But God, through the church, is calling and drawing those that He sees fit. And so these two disciples of John, one is Andrew, he's identified. The other we don't get a name for. But it's assumed that it's John, the apostle, that's writing this book. John never puts his name in the book. His name does not appear. When you see him referred to later on, he's the disciple that Jesus loves. But John doesn't put his own name in his book. So assume to be John and Andrew that are here. They hear the witness and they follow Jesus. Listen to this in Proverbs chapter 15, verse 23. A man hath joy by the answer of his mouth, and a word spoken in due season, how good it is. So the word spoken in due season, hear John, John's going to bear witness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And to these two men, what a life-changing moment that the word of the Lord Jesus was in their lives. Their lives are never going to be the same from the day that they heard of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so they follow. And Jesus turns and said unto them, What seek ye? So what a question to ask. What are you looking for? He says in Luke 7, referring to John the Baptist, What went ye out in the wilderness for to see? A reed shaken with the wind? What went you to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? So he's saying, was you going out to John in the wilderness to see the wind blowing the reeds? Or were you going out to see, you know, you might go see the Biltmore house. What are you looking at? The great riches and grandeur of man. Were you going out to see that when you went to see John? No. What were you going to see? A prophet. Yea, and more than a prophet. So Jesus turns to these two men that are following Him and He says, what are you looking for? What are you seeking? I wonder what the majority that would come to church and that would follow Jesus, what are they seeking for? Mostly... For things of the world. For worldly things. But these men said, Where dwellest thou? Rabbi, where dwellest thou? So the word of John the Baptist, it was enough 
that they recognized the man Jesus as a master, as a rabbi. And he saith unto them, come and see. So they say, we want to see where you live. We want to see where you're abiding. And the invitation is open. Isn't that wonderful that the invitation is open? Come and see. If you'd like to see where the Lord is, come and see. There's very little interest, isn't there? In seeing and hearing about the Lord Jesus Christ. Why is that? Think about it here. As John's writing this, as John the Baptist is bearing witness, Jesus is an actual person that you could go up and put your arm around, that you could see with your eyes and look at the interest He has following Him. He's got two men. They're not flocking after Him here either. Man says, well, you're, you're limiting it down and you're shutting people out of the kingdom of God. Uh, it surprises me when there's somebody that's even interested in hearing about the kingdom of God. The doors are open. They've been open week after week, Sunday after Sunday, Wednesday after Wednesday. And boy, they're not beating the door down to get in, are they? That's just the truth of the matter. You know what's wrong? People are lost. And they're blind. And they're under the control of the devil. You know what's going to have to happen? God's going to have to reveal the Son before they ever seek to get in. Ain't that the truth? It's the truth. And so, where dwellest thou? In Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verse 7. Tell me, O thou whom my soul loveth, where thou feedest, where thou makest thy flock to rest at noon. For why should I be as one that turneth aside by the flocks of thy companions? You know what she was looking for? I want to be near you. I love you and I want to be near where you're at. Where you feed your flocks, that's where I want to be. You know where you're going to find the Lord? you love the Lord? You know where you can find Him at? Where His flock's feeding. He's with His flock. People say they love the Lord. you want to know where He is? You find His flock, and He'll be there in the midst of them. That's where He's at. And you can find Him there. It's not hard to find, really. He's not hard to find, but He's impossible to find because man's blind and his heart is hardened and his neck is stiffened and he has zero interest in finding the Lord. In Luke chapter 8, Now the man out of whom the devils were departed besought him that he might be with him. In Luke chapter 10, she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard His word. Where are you finding all these people? They're, they're where the Lord's at. You know where you're going to find the Lord's people at? Where He is. You know where they're going to want to be? As, as near as they can to Him. These disciples, they wanted to know where He lived. You know why? It's getting late in the evening. It's about the tenth hour. They're going to stay with Him. They're going to dwell with Him. 
and there's no interest today in coming to nor dwelling with the Lord. What could be missing? It's salvation that's missing over and over again. So Jesus says, come and see. In John chapter 6, we'll eventually get here, verse 37, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. Notice the words. Those that the Father giveth. So where are they coming from? They're coming from God the Father. Out of eternity, really, if you'll have it. And those that the Father giveth, they shall come. Not maybe. Not they might make it. Not they could get in. But they shall. That's without fail. They shall come to me. And when they come to the Lord, He's not going to cast them out. He doesn't say, boys, I haven't got time for you today. But as the Father sins, the Lord takes in. You know what His mission is? To do the will of the Father and to give His life for those sheep. You know what He's doing? He's gathering His flock in. He's gathering them under His wings. He can't turn them away. He cannot turn them away. In John 4, So when the Samaritans were coming to Him, they besought Him that He would tarry with them. And He abode there two days. The Samaritans... I mean, we're talking about half-breeds now. And to Jewish people, these were some of the unclean and most impure and shameful people that there were. I mean, we're, we're down on publican level. They didn't talk. They didn't communicate. They wouldn't look at one another. They hated one another. But boy, they loved this man. And this man was willing to dwell with them. You know what all of these people wanted? They wanted to hear His Word. Isn't it amazing how that people that are saved naturally desire to hear the Word of God and to be with the flock of God. That's born in them. So if there's no natural desire for the Word of God or for the flock of God, there's no rebirth. They are not saved. They can't be. And so, one was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Andrew, we don't know a whole lot about him. But we know this, he's Peter's brother. So, verse 41, he first findeth his own brother Simon, and said unto him, We found the Messiah, which is, being interpreted, the Christ. If Andrew does nothing else in the kingdom, he's in the kingdom. He's elect of God. He's brought into the twelve. If he never does anything else, then know that he was the means that God chose to bring Peter into the number. It was going to be His witness. 
He comes, and I don't know whether this was the same day, the same hour, or if they had spent the night with the Lord Jesus and it's the next morning after hearing His Word and hearing His teaching, the first thing He's going to do is, we, this is the Son of God. I need to go tell my brother, Simon. I need to go tell him that we found the, the one from God. Boy, there's something else that's naturally born into God's children. A desire to to tell of the one that found them. Listen in 2 Kings verse 7 or chapter 7 verse 9. So here the enemy has come and surrounded Israel and they're they're going to take the city. People inside they're diseased and they're starving to death. They would just come and surround the city walls. They'd let nobody in. They wouldn't let anybody out. So they couldn't get food in. They couldn't get goods out. And they were shut up inside. If they couldn't overrun the enemy, then they just sat in there and starved to death. Or they surrendered. That's the way that many battles were fought. And so that's what they were doing. They've surrounded the city. They've cut them off. The people inside are starving to death. And there's four lepers outside the wall here. They're cut off from the people. They can't go in the city. They're shut out. And they say, you know, we've got two choices here. We can go out here to the enemy and we can surrender and maybe they'll have mercy on us or maybe they'll kill us. We don't know. But we know this, if we stay here any longer, we're going to die. So they get up and they go to the tents of the enemy. And everybody's gone. They fled. The armies fled. They left all of their goods, all of their food, all of their water. They left everything behind and fled. The Lord had made them to hear the sound of chariots coming. They were afraid and they retreated, leaving everything behind. But listen to what these lepers said one to another. We do not well. This day is a day of good tidings and we hold our peace. If we tarry till the morning light, some mischief will come upon us. Now therefore come that we may go and tell the king's household. So the city, they're still shut up. They're still starving to death. They think the enemy's still out there. These lepers say that they were eating and drinking. They were starved to death. They were dying of thirst. Here they are. They're feasting on the enemy's goods. And one of them had a thought. You know, this ain't right. The city, they're in there starving to death. Today's a day of good tidings. You know, you hear that Old Testament and you see it in Romans as well. How beautiful are the feet of them that bring glad tidings. Well, here's leprous, unclean men and they're going to come bursting into the king's house and say the enemy's gone and they've left all their goods behind. Let's go out there and eat. What tidings that there was to a people that's dying of starvation. Not that their feet were beautiful, but my, the news was so good. How glorious it was to hear it even from the mouth of leprous men. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 3, that which we have seen and heard declare we unto you 
that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So John in 1 John, he says, I'm, I'm writing this to you that you might have fellowship with us and with God. I believe that's what Andrew's thinking here. He says, I want Peter to be in fellowship with me and to know this man Jesus like I've come to know him. So he goes and says, we found the Messiah. That is being interpreted, the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. So Jesus is the one that changes his name. Cephas is the, uh, the Jewish, the Hebrew way, the Aramaic way of saying it. The Greek way we see throughout the rest of the Gospels as Peter. Cephas and Peter, the same name in two different languages. And so Paul, you'll see in Paul's epistles, he often uses the Hebrew, the Cephas. But Cephas and Peter is the same. And Jesus is going to change Simon's name. A common occurrence. But He's going to change it to Peter, which interpreted means a stone. So in Peter's epistle, 1 Peter chapter 2, as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Ye also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood, up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. So Peter recognizes even the significance of his name change. God is going to take Peter and make him a stone in the building of God. And not just any stone. I tell you, the, the rock layer, he's got the power to put whatever stone he chooses wherever he wants to put it. And you know where he's going to put Peter? He's going to put Peter right next to him. He's going to be the first man to preach the gospel and there will be 3,000 saved at the day of Pentecost. The building is going to begin to be built around that man's preaching. Not that that man is anything. God could have took Andrew and got the same preaching and then done the same work with him. He could have. And yet, God chose to do it how He saw fit. And God says, you're Peter, you're going to be a stone. Peter looking at the family of God, he says, we're lively stones. That's not just irony or coincidence. Peter recognizes the, the picture that's being given that God is saving people and putting them in the building of God. So do you know what we're built in? The same house. He's not got several houses that he's working on like America's home place may have. But he's building one house, one temple, one place for him to dwell. And Ephesians 2, built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone in whom all the body fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord. Fitly framed together. When he builds, he doesn't leave any gap. 
You know, you may be doing a, uh, you may be doing a rock wall. You may just be doing a fireplace and a hearth. But you may have rocks that's, you may have rock the size of the table up here. And then you may have rocks that are about the size of a golf ball. And you may have some that, that are tiny. But you know, if you're going to seal that up and fitly frame it together, you can use every one of them in that same wall. They'll ever one have a place. And that's the way God's house is. God's house has large rocks. And He's got those that look insignificant. Well, I'm nothing compared to these others. But you know, each one fitly framed together in their place is the temple of God. There's not one greater than another. But they all have place in the kingdom of God, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. That big rock is a part of the same chimney that that little rock is a part of. The same smoke that goes through the little rock is going to go past the big one as well. Well, here's the church. The church is put together and the same God that dwells with Peter is the same God that dwells with us. So don't focus on what you are in the flesh or what you uh, seem to be. Peter was ignorant and unlearned, but he was in the building by the direction of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're in the building, the same builder took you and put you where you are in the building. It's easy to say, I, I wish that I had been in another time. But you know, we're right on plan with God. It, it wasn't coincidence and it wasn't chance that brought us to life where we are in the day we're living in. But this is according to plan and He's got stones to go in the building today. Amen. May the Lord help us. God's going to take Andrew... Andrew, who as I read that name and as you read that name and you read the name Peter, what do you think about those two men? I mean, in our, in our thinking now, in, I'll say in my thinking, Andrew, Andrew don't amount to... You're hardly going to hear him anymore. And Peter, Peter's going to be the chief of the apostles. He's going to be one of the pillars of the church. It's what Paul says in Galatians. But you know, it's going to be Andrew's witness that's going to bring Peter into the family of God. You don't know what effect your witness might have on somebody that may be far greater than you in your opinion and in your thinking. But it's not us, it's God that worketh in us to will and do of His good pleasure. All hearts and minds clear. We'll pick up right there next time. We'll see uh, Philip and...